Maybe that should have been one of the challenges to the jewellers and all the glitters workshop to make you a belly button ring. That would have been hilarious. Maybe season two. Yeah, season two. That's the challenge. Just me strutting around in a bikini. I had my loop, so I was looking very closely. And I think the first episode when I took my loop out, there was a couple of gasps because we're like, he's got a loop. That meant they were getting away with nothing. Yeah, Sean had his loop and I had my glasses, I suppose. Those were our props. Welcome to If Jewels Could Talk. I'm Carol Walton, the voice of jewellery, an author, broadcaster, and the woman who initiated the role of jewellery editor at magazines like Tatler and British Vogue. This is a podcast for everyone, for people who do like jewellery, for people who don't realise they like jewellery, and anyone intrigued by fascinating facts, new ideas, and forgotten histories. So please join me as I tell sparkly tales, meeting all sorts of people, delving into four centuries of jewellery culture, and investigate what's happening now. Today, I'm delighted to be joined by Catherine Ryan, Canadian comedienne and host of All That Glitters, the talent show on BBC Two, Finding Britain's Newest Jewellery Star. If you haven't seen it yet, the easiest description is that it's the Great British Bake Off. But these contestants are cooking with precious metals and the icing on the cake is diamonds and gemstones. During the six-part contest, a group of eight jewellers with different backgrounds and skills battle to create bestsellers as well as bespoke pieces for real-life clients. Following that, I'll be joined by two of Britain's best-known jewellers, Solange Azaguri Partridge and Sean Lean, who act as judges and have the task to decide who wins title of jeweller of the week and who is sent home. Thank you for joining us. It's very exciting. I've seen a couple of um, the shows already um, and I wondered how you got involved. I mean, were you a big fan of jewellery before you did the show? I am a big fan of jewellery. Before I joined All That Glitters, I did a stand-up tour and a Netflix special called Glitter Room. I always love to be glam on stage when it comes to hair and makeup, fashion, and that extends, of course, to jewellery. I think I made... Uh, a very purposeful decision at the start of my career when the idea was that women in stand-up should be a little bit invisible. I just thought, no, I'm going to do it in drag. And so I love jewelry. I love keepsake pieces. I love vintage jewelry. I love looking at all the new jewelry designers that are coming out, but I didn't fully appreciate how much work went into it, the type of real tactile um, soldering and sawing and melting and fire I didn't I didn't know about any of that at all yeah, I think a lot of people won't who are watching it and I think it'll give people a newfound um, interest and respect for jewelry makers don't you think it's certainly a lot more broad and I hadn't realized that jewelry making and goldsmithing was a very popular apprenticeship because a few of the contestants said they came out of school and they could go into plumbing or electrical and decided to pick jewelry making and they didn't know that it would become their passion. But it is so creative and technical and physical that I was not aware that so much physical work, but also that jewelry making was so broad and so accessible to all different classes of people. Even I imagined it was some princess in a palace with family money who was drawing a picture of a tiara and then it would magically be made. I didn't understand 
at all. And I think audiences will be surprised to see just as I was. I mean, there is, as you say, fire and sort of brimstone and soldering. And I mean, I think at some points you look quite nervous as you approach them as to what was actually going to happen. Well, I knew that it was touch and go and that you can have the most beautiful design and the best intentions and then burn or melt your piece at the very last minute. We only had a certain number of gemstones for the jewelers to use. And I knew that if they spoiled their project, that it was over for them. And it was high stakes for me. I I really loved them all and I worried for them. And I also didn't want to annoy them. That's the trouble on these uh, competitions that the contributors are so good at their craft, but then they also have to speak to me on camera. I could not do both things myself. Yeah, I noticed a couple of them said, not now, as they yeah. saw <laughs> you and the Sean and Solange approaching. It was like some sort of tricky, tricky moment. I felt so guilty. Did you agree with Sean and Solange's um, decisions on who they asked to leave the All Look Glitters workshop? No, I did not always agree with Sean and Solange's decisions. And often Sean and Solange would disagree between each other and they would have to go and speak and come to a consensus. And often the bespoke client would also make a different choice than the judges had for that round. So it just goes to show, and I love that about art, is that everything creative is so subjective. And I've had bad reviews, and I certainly have people who don't like what I do. And I've never really minded because I've said, well, you know, all I can do is be authentic and create something with my vision and do my best to make it technically sound. And then someone somewhere will like it. And it was refreshing to see that the same applies to jewelry making. And do you think what they've all found any criticism very helpful? I think the judges were really constructive with their criticisms and they totally understood. We purposely set out a very difficult time frame to achieve these challenges. Even Sean Lean would say, when I'm working on a piece in my workshop, no one is sat there with a stopwatch. Of course, you want to have a deadline and and create your product within a reasonable time frame, but these time frames were for television, so they were a little bit extra hard. So it was like three hours to make something that could take, what, three months? Yes. I mean, that's very challenging. It was, and I think that really pushed the jewelers to the limit. And these are not hobbyists. They're all professional jewelers working in the industry. And they wanted to be pushed. I think that type of challenge is exactly what it takes to get to the next level professionally. And I really believe they all stepped up and showcased themselves as being wonderful, regardless of how far they made it in the competition. So did your favorite sneak through and win? I probably had alternating favorites. And I totally admit that I'm not a professional. So just because I liked something, I can't really see the technical element all the time. I don't know the industry well enough to know what would really be a bestseller. So my choices have to be taken with a grain of salt, but certainly someone from my top three won. And I think the finalists were all so strong, interchangeably strong at different points throughout the competition. So I would have been very happy with a a few winners who made it to the end. Yes. And did you have a favorite show being a glitter girl? Was it the diamond show or working with some other stone or metal? 
I really like gemstones, and I appreciate that we had to start with precious metals and move up to diamonds and gemstones. But for me, I loved the pearl episode. I love Baroque pearls and the beautiful classical pearls. I've loved to see people like Kate Middleton bring those out into modern fashion. And not that everything Kate Middleton wears and does is super accessible to all of us, but I think we're seeing pearls um, a lot more, even on the high street variations of pearl imitations. I love them. And the gemstones. I love learning about all those different. Oh, I mean, well, I also like the alternate materials episode because I didn't know how beautiful beetle wings were. And I saw a really beautiful nut that Tamara made into something special. And I learned a lot in that episode. Gemstones, pearls. Yeah. Pearls is my favorite episode. So do you wear a lot of pearls yourself? I think they suit me because I do have very Celtic skin. I like to say it is a classic look, though who knows anymore? We'll see when I can get my hands on Botox again, how classic I look. (laughs) This pandemic, I mean, I look very Victorian in this pandemic. My eyebrows are disappearing. My hairline's gone way back. And what's your um, lockdown look been? Has it included jewellery? My lockdown look has been an abomination. I forgot about handbags. I don't know what we used to put in them or why I have so many. The only jewelry that I've been wearing in lockdown are these really fine Maria Tash earrings. I have loads of them just going up my ears and I like them because they're whisper thin and I know they're well made and I can sleep with them. They're certainly not a fashion earring that I would change in and change out depending on my outfit. They're one of those staple earrings that you can just keep loads of little hoops in. Are you going to have any more piercings? Is it like addictive? I'm not a nipple piercing, eyebrow piercing, facial piercing type of girl. I didn't even like too many holes in my ears until I discovered these teeny tiny baby hoop earrings. I think they're so delicate and I love that style right now. And because I'm 37, I do have not a lower back tattoo, but a belly button ring just because of the generation. I think it's mandatory and I don't have a ring in it, but the hole is there. So it really dates me. Maybe that should have been one of the challenges to the jewelers and <laughs> all the glitters workshop to make you a belly button ring. That would have been hilarious. Maybe season two. Yeah, season two. That's the challenge. Just me strutting around in a bikini. We used to have belly chains coming from them as well. I mean, I blame Beyonce. So those are the everyday jewels at the moment and then you'll change them up you'll get bored of it in due course and change it yes I think when I am released into the world I love to dress up and I'm so lucky to work with a stylist Jennifer Mahalski Bray we've been working together for probably eight years now and she is really passionate about finding upcoming British designers, but also borrowing vintage pieces. We borrow a lot of vintage Chanel from Susan Kaplan. Um, I had an amazing YSL vintage ring. What was your first jewelry experience? Did your mother wear jewelry? My mother and my grandmother were incredibly glam. Um, They had cocktail rings and fashion jewelry mostly. We were not a particularly wealthy family, so... And I think when you're Canadian, 
there isn't that same legacy of old jewelry or property. You know, we're such a new country that a lot of my ancestors just had fish. So <laughs> um, I have one of my grandmother's amazing fashion cocktail rings, probably from the 70s. And I love that. And it's relatively inexpensive, but it's my most treasured piece of jewelry. And when I wear it, I remember how glam she was all the time. It was always gold, yellow gold and diamonds and cocktail jewelry with my grandma. I think she is who I channel a little bit when I, when I go on stage. It's a little bit of that old 50s, 60s glamour with a twist. And that's probably why you like the vintage Chanel, that kind of big costume, very sort of gilt look. I do. I, I'm like a magpie sometimes. I think it's so beautiful and it adds intrigue and a bit of shine and sparkle. Um, I just love it. And I, I didn't have access to all the jewelry that I had now. I mean, growing up, my first experiences with jewelry would have just been communion jewelry. <laughs> Little, that's probably why I like pearls. I liked the rosary beads that I got in Ireland when I was seven. But I always admired the older women in my family, that matriarchy and how much care they took in looking polished and what they stood for and the strength of... <laughs> Just how the, all the jewelry and hair and outfits made them look walking into a room. I loved it. So that's the role of jewelry to you. It's to show your strength, power, to draw attention to yourself in an important way. Most of the time, and certainly when I'm performing, but I also appreciate the sentimental value. I think part of why I love my grandmother's ring is not because it's a cocktail ring, but just because I do genuinely believe that it holds some of her energy. And I was learning that you can make jewelry from teeth. You can take your children's teeth even and have that made into jewelry. And that seems perhaps a bridge too far. Queen Victoria did that. That's it. Yes, I had forgotten who it was, but I I feel like that is just enough weird for me. I would love to do that. And my husband's wedding ring is his father's wedding ring and he passed away when my husband was really small and so we do have sentimental attachments to these pieces of jewelry that would otherwise not be uh, ostentatious or certainly worth any money so there are both sides of it I think jewelry carries a lot of emotion and it's not just for show sometimes it's that secret piece like an heirloom belly ring that <laughs> I will be passing down to my grandchildren <laughs> made of teeth Made of my own teeth. I was um, interested in the show because it has the sort of premise of a bake-off, doesn't it? And I think people love bake-off because they used to kind of sit there and wait for these slight double entendre puns to come out with a slight saucy, sexy thing. And amazingly, you managed to find a lot in the jewellery world. Yes. I thought that that was a respectful nod to bake-off and the beautiful tradition of double entendres that was started there but it was also really important to make the show our own so I just tried to go into it like I go into everything really just curious about drawing the stories out of the jewelers and getting to know them so there was a lot about size yeah. size matters well when they give me 
a stick and they say it has to be eight inches. Comedically, I'm not sure where else you can go with that. I had no choice. There was quite a lot of lubricants, sticky sores, I mean, things. Gosh, well, you know more than I do at this point because I haven't seen exactly what's gone into the show. I was there all day, every day for several weeks and goodness knows what I actually said and what was, you know, I just leave it up to the lawyers. You you just decide what you would like to commit to in the edit and I'll say what I like. I go into workshops obviously doing what I do the whole time for many years and I've never seen that kind of sex angle before so now I can't oh no <laughs> when I next go in I'm gonna look at it with a whole new light I think I blame Sean Lean for that because right off the bat I said what are you hoping to see and he said sexiness and I took that note and I ran with it and you've done a lot for jewelry makers in the process now yes I, I think it's going to be such a wonderful showcase for them we really set out and the production casting the jewelers finding the best ones from all across the nation we set out to find and celebrate the best and we didn't know that it was going to be um such a difficult time with the pandemic but i think everyone's creative career could really use a boost and it couldn't be happening for them at a better time and i think they will all see a boost in their industry from this and maybe their personal image as you've made it sexy yeah <laughs> so who's your fashion designer that you're drawn to when you look oh right now we love Zandra Rhodes love 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 she recently celebrated a very special birthday and she's very kind to us we get to borrow some of her things so you have on stage your on stage look and then your off stage look I do yeah on stage I'm a little bit more glittery, I think. That's a Zandra Rhodes moment. It is a Zandra Rhodes moment on stage, yes. But Zandra Rhodes also has, you know, some stripped back jumpsuits and things that I've worn. I'm in the Stand Up to Cancer Bake Off next week, and I wore Zandra Rhodes in the Bake Off tent. So, you know, you can go day or night with a lot of these amazing designers. I wore a Valentino dress to my wedding, a mint green daytime Valentino dress because I love Valentino, but it wasn't the Oscars. I was doing a real low key civil ceremony. So instead of getting a wedding dress, I treated myself to this amazing Valentino. But on stage, I wear sparkling Gucci and well, it's been two Gucci pieces and a Dolce & Gabbana sequin dress for my last three tours. And I have one uniform and I dry clean it and I wear it every day or I'll have two copies and I'll interchange it every day because then I don't have to think about it. So I have one tour outfit for that show and then I wear that. And I guess post pandemic, what you really want is an audience. Mm. You want to get back on the road? Yes, I feel like comedy is such a conversation and you can't have a one-sided conversation from the telly all the time. You really need to get out to the cities and the towns and feel the energy. And I also think there's something quite special about any live performance that doesn't exactly translate in when it's recorded and when it's edited. You know, you really need to be in the room to hear all the sexual innuendos that, <laughs> that were on the cutting room floor of all the glitters. So what's the next project? I'm writing my book. It's called The Audacity, and that comes out in September. 
And what's Animal. the audacity about? It's kind of a memoir. I do think it's quite funny to write a memoir during the hopefully first half of your life. <laughs> I don't know. Um, but it is a comedic collection of my experiences and my lessons in more of an earnest, long-form tone than I'm able to communicate on stage. When you're doing stand-up comedy, you have to be quite quick and caustic and spiky. And having done my own podcast this year, I've learned that I love that more earnest, long-form articulation of things. And I think it's a nice way to reach people. And then you're going on tour in September. Yes. Where to? I mean, all throughout the UK, and I'm doing some dates in Europe as well. So we'll be in Wales, and I think we have four or five different cities in Scotland, and then all around England as well. And then we're going to Helsinki and Copenhagen and Paris. I mean, fingers crossed. It looks like it'll be all all right to do those things in September, but I don't know anymore. I hope so. And do you think, having done all that glitters, will your jewellery choices for the tour change? Will they have changed anything about how you present yourself, the show? I certainly have always been very appreciative of designers. And I think that that appreciation has only grown now that I've had a behind-the-scenes look at exactly the amount of planning and risk and thought and physical work and designing and redesigning goes into each piece of jewelry. And I've learned that jewelers are very dedicated and emotional, and they aren't just a sultan's daughter in a palace who's drawn something. They aren't. They're apprentices. They're people from right around the corner, all over the UK, and it's a thriving industry. So I have just all the much more respect. And would you think of commissioning jewellery now, having had that experience, instead of just going to buy it off the shelf? I absolutely would, especially when it's a gift for someone else or even a gift to celebrate yourself, an achievement in your life or a milestone that you think is special. I hadn't fully considered what goes into admiring a designer, really connecting with the vision and voice of that designer and then going out and commissioning something for yourself. I think it's a beautiful marriage of creativity. And I see now how much the designer considers the client and the full circle of everything that goes into that piece. And I think that's what makes it really memorable. And again, emotion is so integral to a piece of jewelry like that. So to have the big story behind it is really something that I would love to do. What would you put in it for you? Say if you had to have the audacity ring, what would that have in it? I would love to find a way to mix delicate and classic with eye-catching. So my everyday jewellery is very delicate, but I would want an element of wow, and there are certain colours that I love. My daughter's called Violet, and I always gravitate toward a little bit of a purple-colored outfit if it's on offer or a little purple stone. Every time I wear um, maybe a purple quartz or something that I see, is that quartz is purple? Which is the one? Amethyst. Amethyst. Yeah. Every time I see an amethyst or 
a purple element in an outfit, I'm drawn to it. And I always think that then I'm taking my daughter with me if I'm on tour or if I'm away from home or I'm on stage. I always try to represent violet when I can. So, I mean, I love a bit of sparkle, love a bit of amethyst gemstone, and I love a touch of feminine delicate to that as well. So that's what I would commission, probably a ring. I can't wait to see the next few episodes. First two were brilliant. Aww. And thank you for joining us today. Thank you. I know everyone really appreciates your involvement. It's really kind of you to take the time. If Catherine provides the wit and comedic edge, Solange and Sean provide the technical and design expertise. So now let's move over and chat to them to hear their experience of the show as well as their careers in jewellery. It's interesting, isn't it, Solange, that there hasn't actually been a programme about jewellery before. Why do you think that is? Maybe it's taken this long because jewellery is perceived as something that is luxurious. But in fact, what we've seen and what's very obvious is that jewellery is for everybody. And jewellery is so part of everyone's life from almost the moment they're born. Maybe it's just taken a bit longer. I mean, maybe it's less obvious than decorating a house or cooking clothes, interiors. Maybe it comes at the bottom of everybody's list. Although I think it's the thing that people really love the most and aspire to having, actually. And did the people entering, um, Sean, did they have to be jewellers to a certain standard. Myself and Solange didn't really have a, a part of the casting. audition. Yeah. yeah, the casting process, which is good really because we needed to keep that kind of distance because we were judging them at the end of the day. The jewellers all came from all different stages of their career. Some were apprenticeships, they'd just finished their apprenticeship, some were still training, some were self-made, which was fascinating. Self-taught, should I say. Literally, one of the jewellers taught himself totally off online. And some of them had their own practice, their jewellery practice or their own little brand that they'd been building for a few years. But what was lovely, they all had the same passion and the same drive and the fearlessness to push themselves. Because I think for them to like enter the programme and sit at the bench and craft a piece of jewellery in three to four hours under the scrutiny of like the judges and the camera crew and ask questions, be asked questions. And it was remarkable what they achieved, really, don't you think, Solange? Very impressive. And I think they acquitted themselves so well. Yeah, they did. I got the feeling, um, watching the first two episodes, Solange, that you're the toughie. <laughs> I mean, they kind of trembled when Sean came and looked in his loop, but actually you were the one doling out the toughest criticism, I think. It was really funny because I really thought I was being diplomatic and gentle and kind. And obviously, even my most diplomatic was kind of terrifying everybody. But that's what we're there for. We're there to be honest and truthful. And and jewellery is a tough business to be in. And it's very competitive. And we can't kind of pretend. So what were you judging on, Sean? What were you looking in the pieces they created? I was looking for, first and foremost, good design. 
um, in the bespoke. I was looking for them to in the design to see whether they had listened to the brief or they had touched with the to the client and picked up all the emotions or the memories of the client. Then I was obviously looking at execution. I was looking at how well it was made. I had to take into consideration their level of skill, but also I had to be aware that this piece needed to sell. And I wanted to see that they had evolved as well. Every week they evolved more. And if they were being experimental with their techniques and if they were pushing themselves, and some of them did actually, some of them really pushed themselves and did things they'd never done before on the programme as well and some were rewarded for that because some of them succeeded some didn't um but yeah for me it was a combination of design and execution and you know I had my loop so I was looking very very closely and I think the first episode when I took my loop out they were there was a couple of gasps were like he's got a loop that meant they were getting away with nothing Yeah, Sean had his loop and I had my glasses, I suppose. That was the, those were our props. <laughs> and what were you judging on Solange? Well, it's pretty much the same as Sean. Pieces need to, needed to have some design integrity. They needed to be well made. But I really wanted to find somebody or see somebody who had their own special spark and distinction somebody who just kind of stood out from them and I definitely had my favorite did your favorite win I can't say can I (laughs) (laughs) yeah Sean had his favorite as well yes I suppose I had a few favorites in the beginning I saw a strength in some of them like they you know they'd fallen down but brushed themselves down and got up again and and carried on and and learned by their mistakes And that, for me, is a good goldsmith or silversmith. So now anyone who hasn't been in a workshop, they might be surprised by the level of danger that there's um, fire, molten metal, saws, dangerous implements. Um, And I think you really get a sense of that in the All That Glitters workshop. When you um, both with Catherine were going up to talk to them. It could be at this crucial moment when they were doing something incredibly dangerous. Mm. Yeah, it was kind of deliberate, I think. It was all part of the pressure. And I think that's what makes it very attractive to watch, seeing seeing the flames and seeing the, the hammers and seeing the kind of visceral techniques that go into making a piece of jewellery. It, uh, it doesn't just kind of appear... Yeah, I think it's been a mystery. It's a mystery to a lot of people how jewellery is made. So they'll have a new sense of appreciation for the jewellery that they buy. Do you think Catherine was surprised by the whole process? Yeah, I think she was. I think she was so lovely to work with. I like anybody. I think people... Jewellery touches all our lives. Everyone owns a piece of jewellery, but they don't stop to think about how it was made. Or It's interesting because a friend of mine works on the Antiques Roadshow and the camera crew that were with us on All The Glitters filmed all, filmed the Antiques Roadshow directly after us. And as they were filming some jewellery on the show, they were talking to the expert saying, oh, we, I'm enjoying this now. And she said, why? And he said, because I know how that's made. <laughs> and he'd been filming the Antiques Roadshow for 15 years. And she said, oh, you're only enjoying it now. And he said, yeah, because I was on this great programme before. And they showed us how everything was made. Instead of just filming the jury, even the cameramen were interested. It's a fascinating process because these tiny little sculptures 
so delicate and small, but yet so robust and strong and stand the test of time, if designed and made well. You know, it, it, there's so much goes into them. So I think Catherine was, I think everybody was. And what was your favourite episode, Solange? Was it working with the diamonds or alternative materials? They all had their challenges. I mean, alternative materials was interesting because you didn't know what they were going to do. You know, the engagement ring and the cocktail ring. They all had their challenges. And then the bespoke challenges were also different. But they all had very strong emotions behind them. So I think they were designed to bring a tear to the eye (laughs) every time. Sean, did you have a favourite one? For me, I loved, obviously, three, four and three, no, four, five and six because we all kind of knew what we were doing and we kind of got our groove on, didn't yeah, we? Yeah, that's so, right, actually. As to the challenges, I think the engagement ring elevated it for me a little bit because we were working with a diamond. There was this air of, not fear, but this anticipation, this anxiety of, oh, it's a diamond ring. It was like they had to like really up their game the craftsmanship for the diamond ring had to all of it had to be spot on but this was a carrot diamond it it was time to get really focused you could see even when the diamonds were brought to them do you remember salons they were just like laid onto the presented weren't they so and we've talked um about how for people who love the format of the great british bake-off they won't be disappointed by the amount of um double entendre and and saucy puns that um, Catherine's managed to find in all the Glitters workshop. (laughs) Yeah, she was good. She was very good. She definitely diffused the tension and made us all laugh. So do you have all those kind of saucy puns in your workshop? (laughs) We do. I mean, it's a workshop. I think you you get all those saucy puns in all sorts of workshops, whether it's a mechanics or whether it's a jewelry workshop. I've grown up with it. You know, when I was 15, I was first on the bench in Hatton Garden and I grew up with all those puns and what about size and all of that kind all of right, thing all right Carol yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I was fishing for a saucy pun now I can feel it give us your best saucy pun Sean <laughs> we'll have to wait till we're in the bar Carol I think we'll have to wait till June the 21st but um yeah but we've all grown up with those saucy and what was funny was obviously Catherine being quite naughty herself you know, it didn't take long before me and her would be play, standing on the side playing with the triplets and all the different objects in the jewellery workshop, making very saucy pun gestures, I suppose. Do you know what? It's so funny. When they do edits, obviously, they're taking a snapshot of a conversation. But, you know, Catherine's asked me, what do I want to see in the jewellery? And obviously, I'm saying great design, beautifully executed. I want to see their handwriting, that the jeweller has put their stamp on it. And yeah, let's see some sexiness. You know, it's the it was the last part of a conversation. I suppose for me, when I designed jewellery in my mind, when I was a kid, I saw my aunts and everyone going out and it was the 70s and they all, they all looked fabulous. They just looked brilliant. And all the jewellery they had on and they just had the whole look going on. So when I'm designing, I I think about designing for a woman that's, energetic and confident but empowered but most of all feels sexy you know but jewelry is after all a body adornment it's 
we wear it to we wear it for personal reasons for moments and memories but we also wear it for attraction it sort of also highlights particular parts of yeah. zones erogenous of zones body. of the body yeah that people want highlighted their their best parts so people you know like for me a drop earring is not about decorating the ear let's be honest the ear is not one of the most beautiful parts of the body the drop earring is drawing the eye to the neck which is one of the most beautiful parts of a woman or parts of anybody i think and that's sexy do you know what i mean it's like it's, it's it's a highlight i want to know when you talk to them all at the end and sort of imagining there are quite a lot of would-be jewelry makers out there listening what's your one important piece of advice each of you that you'd give to a would-be jewelry maker my advice would be well three things actually i would first and foremost with the skill of goldsmithing be patient it doesn't it doesn't come overnight learn your skill because your skill will be the foundation for all the ideas that you want to express on your journey so learn your skill well learn it classically and then you can adapt it to whatever shape or form that you choose design wise i would always say to a designer maker once you've in your early days you will come across a silhouette or a shape or a form or a color or something and when you do and that object or silhouette or shape or color gives you goosebumps that is your core never forget it embrace it and carry it with you and apply it to every design or every form or new collection that you have make sure that handwriting is in everything and if it is you always stay on the path and you have a sense of longevity. And then third, I would suggest a small business course. I'm a creative and I have the capability to make design everything and make everything. Not thinking about the bottom line or the cash flow or the stockholding or all those important things that keeps a business going. Do a small little business course just to help guide you along because I don't know for other creatives but for me I can just design everything and want everything it's all a great idea and before I know it, I've spent all my budget so man business management is important when you are dealing with such beautiful materials as we do in jewelry that are costly good advice yeah and you Solange um you really really do need to have your own special voice and your own signature um, because otherwise you're going to be drowned out by everybody else out there. And you have to have faith in yourself and self-belief. That's hard to come by, actually. That takes a long time. But, you know, if within yourself you can believe in yourself, then I, I think that's really important. And last question, I want to know, what are the big jewellery trends we're going to see this year? Well, I don't know. I'd be asking you that question, Carol. Usually <laughs> you would. <laughs> well, I know what I'm doing next, but... Um, What's that? Tell us that. I can't tell you that. Oh, it's a secret. Well, You've you kept know, the winner from me, and now you're not right. telling well, me your I next can't. collection. It's not ready yet, but I will, <laughs> I, you know. But, uh, I mean, I don't know. Is it colour? I can't say. But I mean, there's a lot of colour out there, isn't there? There's kind of a lot of everything. I don't think, I, I like to think that jewellery doesn't have trends. 
I mean, obviously, I don't think it should have trends. It does, I suppose. There's kind of zeitgeists for rainbow jewellery maybe at the moment, but um, I do think that jewellery should transcend all of that because hopefully you will have it forever, you know? it's. Um, but it does speak about the time you live in. It does. And I do think that what we're living through will will emerge in some form through design. Well, there's also the trend for um, sustainable, ethical, and we're living through that kind of a time now as well, aren't we? So, yeah, all of that, definitely. Sean, can you give me a glimpse of what you've got coming up? I've got four collections coming up this year, and they are in very much the aesthetic of my work, you know, romantically organic and natural reference and all of those elements but more so there is a very personal touch to the collections this year I think there's a a deeper sentimentality to the work I'm producing this year where there's a personal touch to the pieces where they're kind of accessible bespoke and I think coming through what we've come through a lot of people are reaching out for jewelry that actually says something about them or how they're feeling or what they're hoping for and that's coming through me and I'm portraying it into my jewelry so I don't know I think we may go through a phase of sentiment maybe with the jewelry that we might see coming up through some many different jewelers because it maybe it's a zeitgeist that's how people are feeling not sure that's how I'm feeling, but um, we'll see. And will we see you both in the All That Glitters workshop for a second series? Fingers crossed. Who knows? Well, I urge everyone to watch because it's a good show and it's incredible how they get that tension going in what can be quite a sort of solitary occupation. It is actually quite unified in the workshop and exciting. Good. I'm really glad you liked it, Carol. It's really good to hear. And thank you for coming and joining us today. Thank you, Solange. Thank you, Carol. Thank you, Sean. Thank you, Carol. And Solange, it was lovely to see you, my dear, and lovely to see you, Carol. Thank you, Catherine, Sean and Solange, for giving us that glimpse into the All That Glitters workshop. I have my view about who I think is going to be crowned Britain's newest jewellery star, but I want to know what you think. Please leave us a message on our Instagram and tell me who you think is going to win. Please join me again for the next Jeweled Nugget in two weeks when I'll be talking superstitious gems, myths and legends with rock and roll jewellery designer to the star Stephen Webster and Dr Geoffrey Post of the Smithsonian Institution, home to the infamous Blue Hope Diamond. Join me then. Goodbye. If Jewels Could Talk with Carol Walton is produced by Natasha Cowan, music and editing by Tim Thornton, graphics by Scott Bentley, illustration by Geordie Labanda, and you can find me on Instagram at Carol Walton.